All right, well, this morning we are continuing in John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 30. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Let me read those verses uh, for us this morning. Yeah, there's a feedback in it. I'm hearing it now. It's ringing in my ear. What, did you turn up the volume a little bit? How'd that work back there? Let's see. We got the AV man on it. We can go with that. We can go with a lot. We can't go with that. Can't go with that? Like, Yeah, yeah that's kind of... I can deal with it a little bit too. Hey, okay. Better? Worse? Down? Better? All right. Let's go with it. Thank you, preacher. Thank you. As I said, John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not work on darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, for I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury, and as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Because he says... Where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to him, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to him, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know what I, that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, as we consider uh, the verses before us, uh, we just ask that the Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that we have it, that we can uh, learn from it, Father, that we can be changed by it. And we ask for you to do that this morning. Father, we pray that you'll bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So previously we have talked about the I am statements of uh, Jesus here in John. And you remember there are seven of them. Uh, we've already seen uh, the first one, uh, the one where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
And here now we see the second I am statement. And we find it right here in verse 12. And it says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, this is not a new theme in John's gospel. If you remember, back in the very first chapter, uh, John touched on this theme um, of the light uh, of the world. In in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, John writes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the idea that John introduced again in the first chapter is that Jesus, when incarnate, has brought illumination. He's brought understanding of the truth. He is truth incarnate uh, when he had come into the world. And so Jesus is building on this idea of him being the light in the world. And of course, the Pharisees, as they have been, uh, regularly were very quick to find fault with his statement. They say in verse 13, it says, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Well, well, let's look at that statement for a minute uh, from the Pharisees. The first part of their statement is obvious. Okay? But he says, You bear witness of yourself. Yeah. Jesus was speaking about himself. That's true, right? This was, this was not John the Baptist here uh, speaking about Jesus, which John the Baptist already has, right? But and it wasn't somewhere else, somebody else claiming that Jesus was the light. Jesus made this declaration Himself. So the first part of their statement, it is obvious. Now, the second part is a little bit more difficult to understand. We've touched on this previously in a few sections, but uh, if you remember, under Jewish law, uh, if a testimony was given in court, uh, the suspect could only be convicted by two or more witnesses. You remember that, right? And their, their, their testimony had to agree. Okay, So in other words, to give testimony, to convict, uh, the testimony of one must be corroborated by another. Okay, That's uh, what the point they're trying to make here. So when they heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world, okay, now let's, let's, let's back up for a minute, the, the I am statements. Remember what the, the, the significance of those statements. Remember uh, it's the, in this section where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, it's that same Greek construction that we uh, addressed several chapters ago, the ego emi, right, which literally means I am, I am, or it is translated I am who I am. Okay, it's the same words used right here. And so the Pharisees are saying, you're testifying to that by yourself. Therefore, your witness is not true. You're alone. You can't testify to yourself. That's their point they're trying to make. So they dismissed his testimony by what he's saying about himself because there's no other witness that can corroborate this. Who else can testify to this? That you alone, as far as we see it, in terms of what the Pharisees are thinking. But then they went, they took it a step further, didn't they? Instead of just saying, okay, Jesus, your testimony is inadmissible, uh, they went beyond that and they even declared what he's saying is false. You're lying. It's not true. What you're saying is not true. So it's, it's one thing, your testimony's alone, it's not corroborated, it's not admissible. But then they took it a step further and said, no, that's not even the truth. You're lying, basically, is what they're trying to tell him. And if you think about um, that, 
and just the 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 they they have now accused the one capital O right the one who is truth incarnate. Okay, Jesus is the very truth incarnate, and now they're accusing him of bearing false witness. Very dangerous statement. There is uh, some irony here. Dr. Sproul points out. Um, the, the Greek word translated witness in this verse is the same word where which we get, or from which we get our English word martyr. Okay, martyr. That's the Greek word used here when it, when it talks about um, the Pharisees talking about it being a witness. Now the connection, you know, you know what a martyr is. The, the word literally means, the word, the Greek word literally means someone who loses his life for a cause. And it comes now here again from this Greek word for witness. Why? Well, because the, uh, in the early days of the church, uh, there was such a close relationship uh, between the martyrs of the church and their witness to the truth claims of Jesus. So therefore, these terms almost became synonymous. They were used, they, it kind of it carried with the same connotation while well, he's, he's witnessing to the truth of Jesus. And a lot of these people were martyred for their witness. So you see these words kind of uh, being used that way. The, their witness, the, the bearing, uh, the, they bore witness by ultimately giving their lives, okay, as martyrs for the church. And of course, again, what's the irony here? Well, the first martyr of the Christian church was none other than Jesus himself, isn't it? He's the first martyr of the Christian church, Christ himself. And his martyrdom, as we want to call it, bore the supreme witness to the truth of what he spoke. Um, We've talked a lot about that, about the number of apostles and early church leaders who became martyrs. And you know, I don't remember the exact number, but it's high. Um, and that is one of the, um, that is one of the, the what's the word, uh, litmus test or something, because it can, it can help prove why. Because all these people who witnessed the, the resurrection, the, uh, the resurrection of Christ and the ascension, they all claimed this was true, and they did what? They gave their life for it. They took their life on it. Now, again, if it was made up, do you think they'd be willing to give their life for a lie? I wouldn't, right? Uh, and and we know they, they weren't. So that's another thing just to remember. Uh, Dr. Spruill commentary says, uh, it, it terrifies me that someone would stand before Christ and say, your testimony is false. He says, it's one thing for you to stand before me and say that. And this is Spruill talks. one thing, right? To tell me that I'm lying, right? But it's a completely another thing to say that to the Son of God. That's a completely other thing. Well, how did Jesus respond to this charge? Well, he, he stated several reasons here why his testimony is true. Verse 14, he says, Jesus says, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. He's, what's he saying? He says, my, my, I have, my testimony is based on first-hand knowledge. Right? First-hand knowledge of where? Where he came from. From heaven. That's where his first-hand knowledge is. He says, I've come from there. And guess what? I'm going back there. 
Very soon. Now, the, the Pharisees didn't even really understand just the simplest fact about where Jesus had even come from. And so we see their, this, their, their lack of understanding here as they, as they challenge him. Uh, Jesus goes on and says in verse 15, he says, You judge according to the flesh. He says, I judge no one. Now, let's be careful here when we look at these verses here. Jesus was not saying that he would not serve as judge over the world. Okay? The great white throne judgment. We, we, we know that the Bible speaks about. The Bible scripture is plainly clear that Jesus himself will be the judge of the world at the end when the second coming. We have that in Matthew. We have it in Romans and in Revelation. We have several other passages that say, yes, Jesus will be the great judge. So that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. When he says, I judge no one, that's not what he's talking about here. Okay, He's not saying that he won't be the judge. Rather, what Jesus was saying here, because he's dealing with these heart issues of these Pharisees, right? That's that's the that's the real thing that he's trying to deal with, and they don't they don't. And you know, you've noticed how how Jesus deals with people. Um, it's it's the people who these Pharisees really had no desire to know the truth, and so he deals with them in one way. And you see how in other ways that we read in the Gospels, uh, when there certainly is a desire for truth, Jesus deals with them in a completely another way. You know, uh, and we've seen this in the way Jesus deals with these people. But what Jesus was trying to say here is, you you judge according to the flesh. That's that's how you judge. And he says, I judge no one that way. I don't judge according to the flesh. That's Jesus's point here. Jesus just said where he came from, right? He came from heaven. So what is Jesus trying to say? I judge from a heavenly perspective because that's where I'm from. I don't judge the same way you do. Let's go on. Verses 16 and 18. It says, and Jesus says, And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So Jesus acknowledges what the law says. He knows what the law says, doesn't he? And he's adding to this, he says, I do have a cooperating witness. He says, not only do I bear witness of myself, the Father, capital F, he bears witness of me. And we know uh, that based on uh, when it says Him there, we know that based on the rest of Scripture that Jesus is referring to His heavenly Father. That's who He's referring to. And the first person of the Trinity. Now, and, and, and Dr. Sproul made this point. He says, you know, but if you put yourself, try to put yourself in the shoes of the men standing there, the Pharisees. When Jesus refers to His Father, we know that He's talking about His heavenly Father. Who do you think they think he's talking about? They're they're thinking earthly father, right? They're they're not they're not thinking heavenly father here, right? That's that's not who they're thinking. They're thinking Joseph, his earthly father, right? Um, uh, Doctor Sproul mentioned um, he he talked about a time when he was a young kid. 
And uh, a lot of us can relate to the story he tells. Uh, he tells a story about uh, a little uh, backyard brawl where, you know, two young boys, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old, they get in a tussle. You know how little boys do, right? Y'all, y'all know this. You, you have boys and, and you have grandboys. Um, they don't always agree, and uh, they want to duke it out, right, a lot of times. And you see these little boys, they get in a scuffle. Well, it's inevitably one, one boy who, who will say to the other one, you wait. I'm going home. I'm going to get my big brother, and he's coming back. He's going to beat you up, right? Right. So for those, I didn't have a big brother, right? But but some of you may have, or you had children. It, it, it's a it's a. Well, you just wait. I've got reinforcements. I'm going to get it. I'm bringing it back here, and they're going to kick your butt. That's what's going to happen, right? You've seen this. We've all seen this, right? If you haven't experienced it, you've seen it on TV or whatever. It's real. It really happens, right? Big sisters uh, do the same thing. Okay. Well, there you go. So you know. Okay. Well, I stand corrected. At least middle sisters. <laughs> Big sisters do the same thing. Is that true? Other women with sisters? Is that? Can you? Uh... Okay. We're going to get help, right? We're going to get help. We're coming back. You just wait until I bring him back. Well, you know, when you when you think about that, what what's going on? What's the 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 offended brother or sister, right? When they they're, when they say, I'm going to get my big brother, what are they, what, what's the reasoning behind that, right? What are they, they're making an appeal to a higher power, to a stronger power, right? To someone who is greater in strength. My big brother, you know, you know when, you're, when you're seven, if your big brother's, you know, 13, that's huge, right? That's just, wow, you know, he's big and strong. So you're appealing to, to someone who has, has great strength and he has resources, right? That's, that's what's going on there, right? Well, in a sense, in a, very, in a very real sense, Jesus did that here. Okay, Jesus did that here in a very real sense. He, he told the Pharisees that there is a higher power than Himself. And the Father, the Heavenly Father, stands behind what I'm saying. You see that? See the, see the, the similarity here? It's, 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 it's Jesus Himself Calling them into account. There, there is the Father, okay, in heaven, who is higher than me. He, His station in, in this world stands behind what I say. So in a, so in a very real sense, it's, it's Jesus taking that same kind of approach as that, as that offended boy, you know, in the sandlot who's getting beat up. I'm going to call my big brother or I'm going to call my dad or something, right? In a very real sense, Jesus is, is doing that here. He's calling upon and mentioning and referring to someone who is greater uh, in strength and resources. Now we're thinking about this, okay, don't get too carried away and take that to an extreme and say, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus is God. No, don't go that. We're, we're talking about Jesus, the human being right here, right now. Okay, That's who we're talking about. The Father in heaven is stronger than Jesus, the human man. Okay, uh, and, and that's what Jesus' point is trying to say. Now, we can only imagine that they, what they thought, considering what they thought about his father, I'm sure at this point they're probably confused, right? They are confused. How? We, we know that, right? Because of what John tells us in verse 19, the first part of 19. So Jesus has made appeal to his father, and they say, Where is your father? Show this man to us. If that's the issue, show it to us. Later in the passage, you know, John provides the commentary there in verse 17. 
and, and he, 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 John's telling us, the readers, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Okay, they, did, they didn't make that uh, connection here. It's obvious by their question. And if you think about it, who's asking the question? The Pharisees. Well, what we know, based on, the, especially in the Gospel of John, that actually one of them did understand who his father is. And who would that be? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus did understand. You remember what Nicodemus said? Nicodemus came to him at night. He was worried. He didn't want anybody to know he was coming to see Jesus. Remember what he said? He said that we have it recorded for us in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Rabbi, addressing Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do this science unless God is with him. Jesus, uh, Nicodemus knows what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is from God. Nicodemus knows that. Nicodemus knew how miracles and signs worked. Remember, we, we built this out recently too about the, about the miracles. Miracles, the fact that miracles happen don't prove God exists. That's presupposed, right? God has to exist in order for a miracle to take place. That's what a miracle is, right? So the miracles do what? They authenticate the messenger. And that's why Jesus says later in John chapter 14 about miracles and signs and about His identity and His witness. He says this in 14.11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Why? Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus is he's been showing them who He is. Right? How could anybody do what He's done if He's not of God? There's no way, right? The miracles themselves, the signs that Jesus performed, has has proved that God's with him. And the Pharisees, of all people, should have recognized that. They should have known that. It's obvious what's going on here. Jesus goes on uh, to make a statement in the second half of uh, verse 19 that we need to pay very close attention to. Second half of 19, he says, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, later on, he turns this around when the Jewish leaders themselves uh, claim to be children of God. Uh, In verse 42 of the same chapter, he says, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from the Father and came from God. Now, there are millions, right, today, millions and billions maybe even, right, who claim God as their Father. There are other world religions, right? Uh, Some of the big ones. They all claim God as their Father, but what's the problem? They reject the Son. Right? They reject the Son. It's very, very careful when you hear people talk about their faith in God and their faith in God and their witness it's what we all need to pay attention. How many times do I talk about Jesus? Because if, if you hear somebody talk about their faith and, and faith in God and what they believe about God, and they never mention Jesus, we, we, we need to ask a follow-up question, right? Well, I hear you talking about God. That's good. But what's your take on Jesus? Who's Jesus? Then you find out, are okay, are they believers or are they not? Because Jesus is, he's the deciding factor, isn't he? 
you are with him or you are against him. Right? And if you don't claim Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, you're lost. And so it's, it's, and you, and do you notice even in today's world, people will, will mention God, but a lot of times even Christians will hesitate mentioning the name of Jesus. You notice that? It's, it's around. It's around. Why? Because that name divides people. That name, the name of Jesus Christ, divides people. Well, Jesus is saying the miracle should should do this, um, and, and they're not paying attention to him. Um, and the point here that Jesus is making in the second uh, half of 19 is that you can know God as the Father, um, or excuse me, you cannot know God the Father and then reject the Son. It doesn't work that way, right? Their testimony is one. That's Jesus' point here, right? Uh, you know me, nor, neither me nor my Father. If you know me, you know I'm my Father also. We are one. What He says, I say. What I say, He says. It's, it's We are one. They bear witness uh, to one Another, and that's the point he's trying to make here. John continues in verse 20, he says, this is the words of John, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Now, for the temple experts, what's the treasury? Who wants to tell us? Who, who wants to say what the treasury was about? What the treasury looked like. Anybody want to explain that for us? A place for offerings to be given perhaps in the court of women. There you go. The place where the offerings were given, right? That's the area of the temple. There, in fact, there were 13 receptacles. Each was in the shape of a what? Who knows that? That's a little bit harder. Probably not in the footnote there. In the shape of a ram's horn. Okay? Um, And and so uh, each receptacle was dedicated to a different area of need or concern. Okay? So one may be feeding the poor. One may be taking care of orphans. One may be taking care of widows and so forth, right? So the worshiping Jews would, as they enter the temple, they would deposit their alms into the receptacle of their choice here. And then the mother, the money gather, uh, collected in that receptacle was used uh, to help the needs in that area. And our, uh, Dr. Sproul commented here about these words about, about John's commentary. He says, It's sad that it was in this place where donations were given that the greatest gift of, that God had ever given us was attacked. Think about that. Jesus Christ as a gift. Here, He's in the treasury. They're given gifts. And right before you, the Son of God, the greatest gift that God has ever given us was under attack. It's here in John's Gospel that we see the third instance of this idea, this statement about Jesus' hour had not yet come. And when we think about time, we think about the English language for a minute. We have one word for time, but the Greek actually has two words for time. Okay? Now, so in the Greek, uh, there's a word, uh, chronos, Right? That is referred to the passage of time, right? Just the moment by moment passage of time. Uh, there's, so there's, so there's one way that, that the Bible speaks of time in terms of chronological order. 
this happened, and the next thing happened, and the next thing happened, right? That's that's one way, and that's the word chronos. The other word is um, kairos. And if I, if I mispronounce that, I apologize. K-Y-R-O-S. That's, that's the spelling. Uh, and it refers to a, not the passage of time, but a specific moment of time. Okay, that's, that's the word kairos, okay? It's something, the closest thing we really have to it is the way we use the words historical and historic. You know, right? What's the, every moment that has passed is historical, right? We can, we can agree with that, right? But we describe something as a historical moment. Uh, we mean that something significant has happened, right? Well, that's the, how the word kairos is used, okay? It's referring to a, an historical moment in time. It's a big deal. Uh, there are, are many of these moments uh, in Scripture. We can think of the Exodus, that's a historical moment, right, in the history of the church. The birth of Christ, the cross of Christ, all these, right, are very significant moments. But here, when we see Jesus was refer- referred to my hour, we see another one of these moments, that word kairos, okay? Um, Jesus uh, spoke, uh, he described his hour uh, several different ways. He spoke of the hour of glory, uh, the hour of exaltation, uh, his finest hour, uh, but each uh, in each case, when he mentioned these moments, he's talking about a moment of overwhelming significance. That's what he's talking. That's the word used here. And so Jesus addressed one of these moments when he said this in verse twenty-one. He says, "I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come." And Jesus, and right here, Jesus is not speaking about his ascension back into heaven. He's speaking of his death on the cross. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross, and you can't go with me. We know this. Why? Because of what he said later. Verse 28, he says, When you lift up the Son of Man. Okay? That's literally lift up the Son of Man on the cross. The Jews. The Jews didn't know the cross was was coming, so they are confused at what Jesus is saying. And so in verse 22, the Jews said, wait a minute, is is he going to kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come? Is that what's going to happen here? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Dr. Sproul said, he could have answered their question this way. No, but you're going to do it for me. Which is really about to happen, isn't it? And notice, notice uh, before we get away from um, these verses, notice those terrifying words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in verse 21. What did he tell them? He says, you will die in your sins. He returns to that subject. He doesn't let that go because that's a big deal. Okay, that's... Big words from Jesus. You will die in your sins. Now he he returns to it here uh, and he addresses this this subject further. Verses 23, 24. He says, And he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Remember I said the name of Jesus brings division, doesn't it? The name of Jesus brings division. He, he's, he's juxtaposing two things. You know, he's putting two. I am from above, you're from beneath, right? 
You are of this world, I am not of this world. Do you see the division? Jesus is pivotal. He is what you know. What what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Okay, that's 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 just the truth, right? Well, since Jesus talks about dying in sins, let's talk about dying for a minute because the Bible speaks of two ways of dying. Two ways of dying. The people of God, those in the New Testament and the Old Testament, die in faith, don't they? They die in faith that the salvation is offered uh, by the Messiah. And and what is what the psalmist tells us that their deaths are precious in the sight of God. That's what Psalm tells us in one sixteen. Those who die in faith, the Old Testament and the New Testament, those who die in faith, their deaths are precious in the sight of God. All all who die in faith will enter the place that God has prepared for them. When before the foundation of the world, right? He's prepared a place for them. Now. That's glorious for those of us who are in faith. But what of those of us who are not, who don't die in faith? Well, they die in their own sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You will die in your sins. Well, Jason, we're all sinners. That's true. The Bible does say, it makes it very clear, right? Even the ones, the believers are sinners, but when the people, when the Bible speaks of being in sin or in faith, it's talking about what the state of our souls before God. That's what it's talking about. It's not saying we don't sin or we do sin. It's not saying that, right? It's talking about the state of our soul before God. And the sad, the tragic reality is that those who remain in their sin, in sin, they die in sin. They face. The worst possible fate anyone can imagine. And those who die in faith, well, they receive eternal blessing that never wears out, that you never get tired of, that is ever increasing in joy forever. Can you imagine that? The, the ever it, it, it never you never get tired of heaven. You will never get tired. You never get bored. You know, we live, I think, in one of the, the prettiest places in the world. Don't we? Right here. We have people that come to our farm on a regular basis on Saturdays and they say, man, it's beautiful out here. It's beautiful out here. You know, they, they come from all over and they just they look across the back in the valley and they see the pond and the cows and the green grass and the green trees and they say, it's, it's gorgeous out here. I said, I kind of look around and going, yeah, you're right. You're right. But what is my tendency is to do what? Because I hear that. I, I, I've lived here for 47 years. I've seen the same views for 47 years. I have a tendency to do what? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, it is pretty nice. Right? But in heaven, you, you will never experience that. And then just think about that. It will be ever expanding. You will be ever amazed, increasingly amazed. You'll never get tired of it. You'll never after somebody come say, "Hey, the new guy comes to heaven." Man, it's greater. Yeah, I know it's great. It's absolutely amazing. It, you know, you, you never. 
it's, it's now going, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot. I forgot heaven was, was good. Uh, I've been here a while. Um, you know, I kinda, I'm used to the same scenery. That ain't going to happen. Right? It's not going to happen. So, let me get back on track here. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the name, again, the Jesus Himself, His name, division. In sin, without Him. Eternal judgment. Where the worm never dies. In faith, eternal blessing, which we just talked a lot about. Verse 25, Then they said to Him, Who are you? Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. What's the Jews were willfully ignorant because what's 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 John been telling us in the first eight chapters? There's been multiple witnesses to Jesus's identity. He has done amazing signs and wonders, and this is just the one John tells us about. Right? There are others. Right? The word tells us that if we were to write them all down, it would you couldn't fill the ocean with it. I mean, it's huge the things the, the thing. It's amazing the things that, that Jesus has done. Can't even put them in a book. So Jesus Himself is saying, my words, what I've said with my mouth, my actions, prove, have, have proven now for years on earth that I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And I've been showing you this from the beginning. I've been telling you this and I've been showing it. Who are you to ask me? Who are you? Verses... 28 and 29. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father taught Me. I speak these things, and He who sent Me is with Me. The Father has not left Me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. What we do know, again, Jesus is referring to the unity, the unity of the Father and the Son. We're on the same team here. The Father is with me. I am with Him. Um, we know, the good thing that we do know, is that many Jews did believe in Christ after the ascension, after His death and ascension. And then they realized, the one who we put up on the tree, He's the Messiah. The God turn his back on them? No. He welcomed them with open arms, didn't he? We know that. The, and the, the, I love what Jesus says here. And, and we could just pray that it would ever be such with us. He says, The Father has not left me alone. He says, and he says, For, for I always do those things that please him. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? Jesus says, I always do the things that please Him. I almost always never do the things that please Him. Only by His grace that I'm able to do some little things that please Him, right? Even, even, even then the Word tells us even our best works all right, are His filthy rags. John tells us in the second half of verse 30, he says, 
that many believed in him as he taught these things. The Pharisees were hard of heart. Jesus knows that. That's why Jesus is dealing with them in this way. But there are others who are watching this. There's others who are observing Jesus, what He's saying, what He's doing. The Pharisees' questions, right? They're watching this whole interaction. It says a lot of them believed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that they believed in the things that He taught. And we pray that this book, this book of John, which is most often used as when, when you meet someone who doesn't know a lot about the faith and you want them to, if, if you point them to uh, the, the, what's the one book of the Bible you should read first? Okay, to not, to a not, it's the book of John, isn't it? It's the book of John. Why? Because of the, what's the whole purpose of John? I, I'm here, I am showing you who Jesus is. And doesn't that, isn't that what the world needs to know? They need to know who Jesus is. And so we can just pray. But as John tells us that many believe here, that many, many more will come to know Him because of this book. Any questions or any comments? We have about two minutes left. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time. Father, we thank You for this book. We thank You for the Word, the Bible that we have. Father, um, forgive us when... We don't do the things that please you, Father, and continue to, to do a work in us that gives us that heart and that desire to love you, to do the things that please you, Father, and to tell others about you and tell others about Jesus. Father, as we end our time here in Sunday school, we just ask that uh, you be with our pastor as he leads us in worship, Father. We pray that uh, you will speak boldly through him, Father. We pray that you will convict our hearts where they need uh, conviction. We pray that you will lift us up where we need lifting up. And we pray that our worship will be acceptable before you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.